you're in here and maybe you've been through a divorce and you're single right now, maybe you've been through three, four divorces, or maybe you're single in here and um, you have no intention in getting married for a while and you're going, listen, this is great, I'm glad we're talking about all this stuff, but maybe you're already tuning me out because of the fact that you just feel like this doesn't apply to you. I want you to know this. No matter what past you've gone through, no matter how long you've been single, or if you've been divorced, or, or whatever, I genuinely believe that God wants to speak to you. One, if you're single and you're not married yet, I would strongly encourage you to just take some notes, because you're going to get married one day. Most of us in here want to get married. Or maybe you're in here, and you're married, and your marriage, you're just like, man, I feel like it's hopeless. I feel like it doesn't matter what you say or what we apply, because maybe... Um, you're on board, but maybe your husband is just like, you know what, I've checked out already, and you feel like it's just hopeless, and you feel like there's nothing that can be said, or there's nothing that can be done to change his mind. And I want to let you know, the God that we serve is the God of the impossible. He loves to come in, he loves to take broken situations and things that you just thought would never make sense, and he loves to put them back together again. So here's the deal. What I want to open up with is what we see in Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, when God is actually forming the earth, um, we see that he's creating all these things. And in the very beginning of the Bible, he creates man, and he creates man. He puts testosterone in man. He creates woman, and they, they're a little bit shaped different than men. And he creates all these things, and I want you to know something. This is good, okay? Sex is a good thing inside the context of marriage. Marriage is a good thing, and relationships are a good thing. So everything that we're talking about is not gross, it's not nasty, it's God's design. But here's the thing, what happens, is when sin comes in in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, it begins to fragment and break everything. So some of us in this room, because of sin, we have um, a strong distaste for marriage. Because maybe you've been in a relationship and you're like, I really don't know if I can commit to marriage because maybe every boyfriend or girlfriend you have, maybe you stayed together for one or two months and it broke up. And it just didn't work. So you're not sure about this whole marriage thing. Or maybe some of you in here have just had a bad um, sexual experience with somebody that maybe used you for just pleasure or whatever it was. And you say, hey, this is gross and I don't want any part of that anymore. I want you to know that God is in the redemption business. And he can redeem those things. Where you've been hurt, where you uh, have struggled with in that area of, of relationship or anything. So I have to set all of that up because I want you to know that by design, this is a good thing. By design, relationships are a good thing. By design, sex is a good thing. By design, marriage is a good thing. But we have to remember because of sin, because of Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the world, it fragments, it breaks things, and that's when we get pain. That's when we get pain in marriage. That's when we get pain in relationships. Because of sin, because sin entered the world, it just broke certain things. So let's start off with this. What I want to do this morning is talk about attraction. Um, one, I want to let you know that attraction is not bad. Probably the first uh, thing that pulled you into your spouse was you were attracted to something about them, right? And men, don't, don't joke with me and say it was their face, okay? Um, um, you were attracted, you were drawn into something with your spouse, and you saw something, and you liked something, and you say, I want that something, right? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, and I've noticed it within my kids. Um, 
When you first grow up, or when, when you're first born, and you start to progress in age, about two, three years old, there is absolutely no difference between male and female. They, ha they have no distinction. They have no clue the differences, even of their anatomy. They have no clue that they are totally different. My little girl has no clue. She's totally different from Eli and Isaac right now. She's just a person, and that's all she thinks she is. And then as they grow, and as they progress in age, they go into elementary school, and what happens? Um, now they start to recognize their differences, and now they think, like, girls think boys are disgusting, right? And boys think girls are disgusting, like, ooh, I don't want to touch them, and it's just kind of like, remember playing on the playground, and if a girl touched you, you had cooties, and all that kind of stuff. Remember those days? And then something happens, which I like to call the day of epiphany. So you have all this going on, you're in this age, you're in this stage, and girls are gross, boys are nasty, and then one day... It hits you. All of a sudden, you get out of bed one morning, you go to school, and maybe you're a guy walking down the hallway, and you're like, what is that? <laughs> I want one of those. I want one of those. And all of a sudden, it's like the lights flip on, and you realize the differences. Like, wait, she's, hold on, she's way different than me. She's like, she looks really good. And I think I want to try to get me one of those. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's that day of epiphany. What you once thought was kind of gross, you want to stay away from it, and all of a sudden it's like God just kind of flips the lights on, and you're like, wait, what, what's going on? What's going on? And the way that you know this is happening in your home, if you have teenagers, this is what happens. You ever walk into a teenager's room, especially if they share rooms, especially boys, and you walk in, and you're like, what is that smell? What is that awful smell? Like, teenage boys, they don't clean, they don't bathe, they don't take care of themselves, there's no hygiene. You know when the day of epiphany happens because all of a sudden they wake up, they're showering. And they put on deodorant, they start to, they start to care about what they wear, they start to say things like, Mom, that's not cool, I don't want to wear those jeans anymore, I want to wear these jeans because she's going to be at school and I need to look good, right? All of a sudden... What they thought they didn't need to take care of, they start showering, they start taking a bath, they start brushing their teeth. All these things start going on and start coming together, and you're going, what is going on with my teenager? They probably like a girl, or vice versa. There is this attraction that is taking place, and when this day of epiphany happens, boys go into pursuing women. Okay, I am going to pursue girls. And girls go into this stage of like, hey, I want to be pursued. I want a boy chasing me, right? I want a boy to like me. So what girls do is they start to get all fixed up, and they start to do their hair and their makeup, and they make sure that everything's right before they get out of the house, and make sure they look all good. Because why? They want to go to school. They want to be in high school or at a day. Wherever they're at, they want to make sure that, hey, somebody is going to notice me. Now, so let's talk about attraction a little bit. Here's what I want you to know. Everything that I just described is God's original design. There is nothing wrong with being attracted to somebody. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to somebody. When I first met my wife, I did not look at her and just say, man, your character is just superb. It, it was an, a physical appearance of like, wow, she's hot and I want her, right? When you first met your spouse or when you first got into a relationship, it was not like, man, their heart is just so beautiful. It was like, no, they, they look good.
So attraction is not a bad thing. Attraction is not an evil thing. I think sometimes, especially as Christians in here, we kind of go like, man, I can't be attracted to this person, or I can't think that they look good because, man, that's sin, right? No, attraction is a good thing. Attraction is God's original design. I mean, think about it this way. When God creates man, and Adam has the job of naming all the animals and all the, and all the plants and all this stuff, and God says, hey, look, it's not good for man to be alone and need to create a woman. And so he creates a woman. And then instantly, as soon as Adam wakes up, he is immediately attracted to Eve. We even see in um, Genesis 2 that it was almost like love at first sight for Adam and Eve. As soon as he sees her, he's like, wow, this is, okay, this is awesome. <laughs> and then we also see, even in Genesis 29, we see uh, the story of Jacob and Rachel, and we see this attraction between Jacob and Rachel. Even in verse 17, it says she was beautiful in form and appearance. So attraction is not bad. The Bible actually encourages attraction. Um, in Song of Solomon 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. It says, let him kiss me with his kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Love and wine in a verse. It's in the Bible, okay? Love and wine. It says, for your love is better than wine. So what, what do we see? We see this um, Solomon at this time. It's not his, his wife, but it's this girl that is looking at him and saying, hey, I like what I see. And I want him to kiss me. So we see this whole entire thing that we call attraction. And it's not a bad thing at all. We don't see scripture opposed to physical attraction. As you grow older, scripture actually encourages you to grow in attraction to your spouse. Now, how is that even possible? Because listen, as we grow, what things in our body change, right? Like as we get older, things just physically become different and things change. And let me read this next um, verse to you, and some of you are going to be shocked that this is in the Bible, but it's in the Bible. Proverbs 5, verse 9, and it says, Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. So what is he talking about? If you notice that word always, he's saying, hey, always be attracted to her. Always, like as you're married, always be attracted with your spouse or with your husband. Make sure that there's always this sense of attraction always going on. I mean, the truth is, all of us will be attracted to what we consider beautiful, right? All of us will be attracted to what we consider beautiful. Now, here's what my wife and I have talked about uh, many times, and um, I think what goes wrong in most marriages, specifically on the topic of attraction, their spouse is not their standard of beauty. Okay, so here's what we should be looking at. Here is the goal in every marriage. Like, if you're a man, your spouse, your wife, should be your standard of beauty. Like, that is your standard. When you get married, that is your standard of beauty. It's not that you see some other woman. And listen, I'm not saying that, uh, I mean, other people are attractive and they may be beautiful, but they are not the standard of beauty. So, so let me give you a, a, an example. For me, um... My wife likes when I do things certain ways, even with my physical appearance. Like, if I grow a long beard, she hates it. She hates it. Okay, so she wants me to kind of keep it at this level. So one of the ways that I help my wife be attracted to me is if, 
and I don't, sometimes I rebel against it, but one of the ways that I can help my wife in this is to keep my beard like this. And it sounds simple, it sounds stupid, right? But if she's attracted to me like this, then I should do everything that I possibly could to do things that she likes. Or simply, if I like her in a certain color, or you like your wife or your husband in a certain color, like go out of your way to wear that color. Because you want your wife or you want your husband to be that standard of beauty of saying, hey, this is the person that I am most attracted to, and there's nobody else in the world that is going to take my focus off of this person. So, we've established that attraction is from Jesus. It's not a bad thing. Okay, it is a good thing. I believe that Jesus genuinely wants us to be married to people that we're attracted to. Uh, most of us probably, I would say, almost 99.9% .9 of you in here, that was the first thing that you noticed about your spouse was their physical appearance. But we also see something in Scripture that I do want to point out, and it's this. Beauty is also vain. Beauty is also vain. Although beauty suggests attraction, according to Scripture, beauty can be deceptive as well. <laughs> Do you, you ever, you ever have that girl in high school that you see and be like, man, she looks really good. And then you get to know her and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like she is really mean. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like beauty can be deceptive. Beauty can be deceptive. Proverbs 6.25 says this, do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Like don't let her pull you in just with that attraction, just with her beauty. Scripture repeatedly challenges to get beyond external appearances and consider beauty of the heart. So here's the deal. Attraction is key. It's very important. But if we marry because of that, it can go very bad. If we marry based on physical appearance alone, it can go very bad. If you marry somebody just because you have been sexually active with them, it can go very bad. Because attraction, physical appearance, sex, all those things can only sustain a relationship for so long. And then let's just be honest, after a while it gets boring, right? Right? So if it's not based on character, if it's not based on you really getting to know that person, this is where, what happens, what scripture teaches us. Beauty becomes vain. Beauty becomes vain. If we're not cautious, beauty can bait us and lead us to the wrong path. If you followed us in the fast, the 21 day fast, we read a scripture in uh, Matthew 23 that says this. This is Jesus talking. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you were like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly, get this, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So physical beauty will not sustain a relationship. Physical beauty will not sustain a relationship. A heart that is pure and submitted to Christ and where both that spouse can both found their relationship and build their relationship on Jesus is what is going to sustain that relationship. So maybe to answer some of your questions in here, for some of you, maybe you are considering getting into a relationship or maybe you are considering getting married. My very first question that I would ask you is, do you love Jesus more than you love the person sitting next to you? And if you don't, 
don't get married. If you don't, don't get married. Because here's the thing. You're going to have days when in that relationship it just doesn't work. And it doesn't feel right. And it doesn't seem right. And maybe you get out of bed that morning and you don't want to love them. And you don't want to serve them. And if it's not based on Jesus alone, it's going to go very badly for you. The old saying that beauty is only skin deep is a rich biblical truth. Let me give you a few examples, even just in scripture. Okay, so David, King David, um, he's married. He's standing on the top of his castle or his kingdom, and he sees this woman bathing. And he looks down and he says, he tells one of his guards, he says, hey, bring this woman to me. I, basically, I want this woman. And uh, he sees her and it says, and instantly he's captured and he's captivated by her beauty. So he brings her in and he sleeps with her and um, come to find out it was his best friend's wife. Now what ends up happening? Because he was pulled in just by beauty alone, he didn't know who this woman was. Just because he was pulled in by beauty alone, he ends up, one, he commits adultery, and then two, he ends up committing murder. Why? Because he finds out, okay, this is my best friend's husband, so he sends him out to the battle, and he tells his generals, he says, hey, when y'all go, and y'all go to, to rush that army, I want the entire army to drop back and leave him right there. And so that army would just come in and kill him. So beauty is only skin deep. It only lasts for so long. You also see another example of uh, Samson and Delilah in Scripture, right? So Samson, he has this strength, and he gets this strength from his long hair. And God says, listen, if you ever cut your hair, I'm going to take that strength away from you. Well, he has this woman who is a beautiful woman comes in and basically seduces him and says, listen, tell me your secret. And he won't tell her. And she keeps pushing and she keeps pushing. Tell me your secret. And so he says, listen, you cut my hair, I'll lose my strength. So what does she do? She comes in, she gets some guys to come in to cut his hair and she deceives him. Beauty is only skin deep. Beauty is only going to get you so far in a relationship. In the culture, in the day and age that we live in, our culture is obsessed with beauty. Obsessed with beauty. Obsessed with it so much that we create entire shows and reality shows around beauty. If you watch The Bachelor in here, you're done. I'm just kidding. If you watch The Bachelor in here, it is not... It, the whole thing is not built around relationships. The whole thing is built around mainly physical appearance. And while I like this, she looked better than she does. He should have married him. You know what I'm saying? The games that we play. If you look at the magazines, it's these perfectly sculpted people, perfectly chiseled men, and perfectly fit women, which I don't know if you know this, by the way, is like a false perception. Most of those people don't look like that. Our culture is obsessed with beauty, and they believe in it so much they genuinely believe that relationships should be founded on that alone. And if you just maintain a form fit and you look good, then you guys, man, you're just a perfect match, right? But in the end, we know that beauty will simply fail us. So what I'm saying is this. Our romance with our spouse much must run much deeper than physical attraction. Our romance with our spouse must run much deeper than just physical attraction. You cannot stop at that alone. The third thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to um, 
I'll just be honest with you, men. This may sound heavy-handed on you, but I want you to know that in marriage that God establishes you as the leader. So a lot of things in the home, it may sound like I'm coming hard on you, and I am because of the fact that you are the leader. And so for a lot of things in marriage, if you want to change, then God usually has to change you first. Um, so the third thing that I want to talk about is this. The real you is the inner you. The real you is the inner you. The real you is not the perception that you have. The real you is what's going on right here inside your heart. Your thoughts, your motivations. That is the real you. The world is filled with people who have a sheen of godliness, but are selfish on the inside. The world is filled with people that look like they have it all right and everything boxed and framed up well, but inside... They are full of dead man's bones, just like Matthew talks about. So we've made it clear that your beauty or your handsomeness cannot sustain marriage. In marriage, listen, this is very important, there is only one thing that lasts, and it's character. There is only one thing in marriage that lasts, and it's character. The real you is the inner you. Proverbs 31.10 says, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. This verse is saying, listen, a wife that loves Jesus and has good character and is going to be faithful to you for the rest of your life is more precious than gold and all of the money in your bank account. Like a wife that you can leave and go away for two or three weeks and you just totally trust her with no anxiety or no worry. Character should be valued more than physical Character should be valued more than physical appearance or attraction. Has anybody ever seen that show Caught on Camera? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know like where they have, I mean, we live in a day and age right now that they're probably doing it right now. The government probably has cameras in here watching me right now. But we have cameras everywhere. Like everywhere. Well, they have this show called Caught on Camera. And it's, uh, I think it's on ABC. And uh, you just see these people doing crazy things. So I read about the show, and I, I, haven't, I haven't seen the show in a long time, but I was reading an article about the show itself, and it said this. They have different people where the, the camera actually catches them doing things when they think they're alone and by themselves. So you have one guy who's literally making a cup of coffee, and he literally urinates in the coffee while employees go to drink. Think how disgusting it is. They have another thing of a guy, he's cooking, and this, uh, this guy is basically giving him heck about the food, and so he goes back in the food, he spits in the food, and he serves him a burger. There's actually a really funny one. I thought it was funny. Um, if you're a pet lover in here, you probably won't think that it was funny, but I thought it was pretty funny. Um, they have <laughs> one in here where a lady's sitting in a recliner, and uh, the cat jumps on her and just bites her in the leg, and the lady takes the cat and throws her, and the cat gets caught in the fan and then goes. So <laughs> anyway, um, if you're a cat lover in here, I'm sorry. But I know you shouldn't laugh at that kind of stuff, but every I just laugh at that kind of stuff. I'm that guy that laughs. Um, a few years ago, well, this is uh, many years ago, for our, if you were here for our 15th anniversary, we were talking through different stories that we should share. And uh, just to prove to you that I'm always the guy that laughs, my dad was preaching, and he gets real close to the end of the stage, and he's doing this. My, if you know my dad, he gets real excited, and he missteps, and he falls off the stage in the middle of preaching. And everybody in the crowd's like, <gasps> and I'm sitting in the back, I'm like, ah! <laughs> just laughing at him. And I felt really stupid after that. Um, 
So I'm that guy that laughs at those things. Um, so caught on camera, you have all these people, when they think they're alone, their real character and their real colors are revealed. So here's what character really is. When you're by yourself, that's what real character is. Like when nobody else is around you and the thoughts that you have, that's who you really are. Character is this. Can I do something and not get caught and get away with it? Can I do something and not get caught and get away with it? Character is who you really are when you're alone by yourself. Character is really important in marriage. Extremely important. So let me ask you this. This is what character is within marriage. And character, I want to let you know, is what destroys most marriages. So women, let's, let's talk about this person. So the way that God's wired most women in here is this desire to be pursued, right? This desire for your husband to pursue after you and pursue you emotionally and, and, and chase you. So if you're not getting that from your husband, sometimes what happens is when we're by ourselves, what we do is maybe you're at work and maybe you're not in a physical relationship with anybody else, but emotionally you're connected to this guy at work. Or, or, or maybe it's not even another guy. Maybe you get this fulfillment by reading these romance novels and just wishing that your husband would be like this. Or maybe you go see these movies and just kind of fantasizing about how it should be. That's really character. Guys, when you're by yourself and there's nobody around, what are your thoughts? Can, can you get into a room by yourself with a computer there and not look at something? That is really character. And, and by the way, character is also this, recognizing temptation and not recognizing what you're weak in and just not putting yourself in those situations. Just not putting yourself there. Um, for us, I've explained it a few times, but for, for me, yes, I'm confident that I love Jesus, and I'm confident in my relationship with Jesus, but I'm not confident in the enemy. I'm not confident that I can't ever be succumbed to sin. So it's a, a reason even in our offices, if you come to our offices, all of our pastors have glass doors. It's why. It's not because we don't trust our pastors. It's because we don't trust sin. There's just things that can happen. So here's, here's real character, men, women. Sometimes it's just simply not putting yourself in a situation where you're going to be extremely tempted. Like sometimes, for some of us, we're like, why do I keep falling into this? Why do I keep having these thoughts? Why do I keep hurting my wife like this? Why do I keep doing this? We keep doing it because we keep willingly putting ourselves in these situations. Character is not putting yourself in harm's way. Here's the deal. As we get older, beauty is going to fade, right? As we get older, what happens? Gravity begins to kick in. I don't know if you know this, but your nose and your ears never stop growing. They just never stop growing. They're always growing. As you get older, beauty fades. So listen, if your identity was once founded in, like in high school, you were this great football player and every girl liked you, if that's still your identity, you're going to sorely be disappointed when you're 80 years old. Right? Beauty fades, 
But here's the thing about beauty. There's a lot of things that we can do to try to make ourselves up, right? Um, in, in the day and age now, physically and even in a beauty perspective, there's a lot of things that we can do to fix it. There's cosmetic surgery. Um, every, if you see it on TV, there's all kinds of commercials. They're like, if you lose our lotion, your skin will look like a teenager. Um, they have lotions. They have, uh, what are some other things? I think I have a few listed here. So they've got cosmetic surgery. They've got lotions. If your hair begins to go gray, you can dye it. Um, you can wear looser clothes. You can wear tighter clothes. You can change your diet. For the most part, in many ways, you can alter your physical appearance, although you still get old. But here's what you cannot change. You cannot change your character. You cannot try to make it up. You cannot try to be somebody that you are just simply not. If you have poverty of character, it's probably the reason that you're having issues in your marriage. So if you're just looking at it and, and saying, man, what's going on? Why can't we trust each other? Why don't I trust you? Why don't you trust me? So a lot of that is based on just character. Character. So the last thing that I want to end with before I bring my wife up here is this. And this is, we'll spend a little bit of time on this because this is the most important. And let me just say this before I go on. Everything that I'm talking about this morning is just something to try to build a framework for what we're going to be talking about for four weeks. And um, I would encourage you to try to be here for all those four weeks because all these messages are going to blend into one another. The last thing that I want to talk about is a contract marriage versus a covenant marriage. Contract marriage versus covenant marriage. Um, anybody in here have a cell phone? Probably everybody in here has a cell phone. Now, if you have a cell phone, you are under a contract, right? Um, you're under a contract. You are legally bound to pay that cell phone month bill every single month. And if you pay it on time, every single month, you probably will never hear from your cell phone provider. You'll never hear from them unless they're trying to sell you something. If you pay it on time, the relationship is great between you and your cell phone provider. Now, what happens? You get behind. They call you and say, hey, Mr. McCann, you're behind on your bill. You really need to pay this. And if you don't pay it, we're going to terminate your service. Okay, so let's say I go another month, away two months, three months, and they call me and they say, hey, listen, you have told us over and over that you were going to pay it, and we just haven't seen you make any payments whatsoever. We're going to terminate your service. Do they have every legal right to do that? Yes, they own the service that my phone is connected to. They can terminate it at any time if I do not pay my bill, if I do not abide by the contract. So let's say they cut my service off, and I'm frustrated, right? God, they cut my service off, but I, I have no reason to be frustrated. Why? Because I was under a contract. Now, I say all that to say this. That's how many of us treat marriage. Hey, you're not giving in. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're not picking up. You're not carrying your weight. So I'm out. And listen, marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Let me, let me give you the difference. A contract can be torn up if you don't live up to your end of the bargain. Sometimes we think marriage should be like a business, right? A 50-50 partnership. Hey, you do 50%, I'll do 50%, right? I'll do 50, you do 50. 
And this is horrible thinking, and it's actually very far from biblical thinking, because think of it this way. Did Jesus ever say, hey, you meet me 50 way, you, you meet me halfway, and I'll meet you the other half? You clean yourself up 50%, and then I'll come in, and I'll help you with the rest. Did he say that? No, he, he said, come as you are, like a wreck right now, and, 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 and we'll work this out. So marriage is not a contract. It's not 50-50. Here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a lifelong commitment regardless. Regardless of the pain, regardless of the hurt, regardless of any of those things. And, and don't get me wrong, there are things within marriage that the Bible does say that there are grounds for divorce. I'm not saying that if your husband cheats on you or your wife cheats on you, that, those are, that you should stay with them. But I would also ask you to prayerfully consider it because sometimes redemption and repentance can be the most beautiful thing in the world. A covenant is this. It's a lifelong commitment regardless. You know what covenant language is? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for, for sicker or in health. Till death do us part. That is covenant language. Covenant language is this. A husband and a wife give of themselves everything that they have. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. I give everything. You give everything. It's not you meet me halfway and I'll meet you the other half. Here's the deal, and this is the hard part for many of us. Even if our spouse is not giving 100%, we still give. Like if our, our, our spouse is performing at 25%, we, we give 100 that's covenant. Real love is this. Real love is this. Giving of yourself even when the other is not giving back. That is true selfless love. When you give of your when you give of yourself and when you love your spouse well even when they don't quote unquote deserve it. Even when they don't deserve it. What does scripture teach us? It says kindness will lead people to repentance. You ever have people when you just get in an argument with them, and instead of arguing back, they like they just love you, and you're like, ah, oh, you're so frustrating, right? They just keep on loving you, and they just keep on serving you, and eventually you have nothing bad to say about them. And the only thing that you could probably pick out that'd be bad about them is if you're just like nitpicking certain things. So, so here's the deal. What we want in here, in this church, in this room, is marriages that are based on a covenant, that are committed, one, to Jesus first. To Jesus first. If your relationship is not founded on Christ, it is headed in the wrong direction. Because here's the thing, there's going to be moments and there's going to be days when you wake up and you have those feelings. And you just say, you know what, I, I don't feel like being in this anymore. You've got to realize that first you made a commitment to Jesus. First you made a commitment to God. You made a covenant to God. Saying, God, I'm in this. Till death do his part. And here's what I want you to understand. For some of you, you may hear this and you go, man, dang. Okay, well I screwed that one up. I've been divorced. I've, I've gone through relationships. I'm... Here's the thing. Don't walk out of here condemned. Don't walk out of here feeling guilty. God put you in here for a reason, okay? And he has you here right now for a reason. And God can redeem whatever you've walked through. And you've got to know that he forgives you for whatever you've walked through if you're willing to repent of those things. 
But by design, marriage is a good thing. By design, sex is a good thing. Our marriages must be covenant marriages, not contract marriages. Our marriages must be founded on Jesus. So let's review just a little bit. Traction is not bad. Traction is from Jesus. But we also have to realize that beauty can be vain. And if our relationships are built just on attraction alone and they're built just on physical appearance, it's not going to go well for us. Number three, character is key. The real you is the inner you. The, the biggest thing that your spouse wants to have confidence in is, hey, when you're not around me, when you're away, can I trust you? Can I trust you? And, and number four, marriage is not a contract. It is a covenant. The most redemptive and most beautiful things that I have seen here is when marriages just seem like, man, they're drifting so far apart. Maybe there's been pain. Maybe there's been hurts. Maybe there's been disappointments and betrayal and all of these things. And one of the most beautiful things is when Jesus just comes and he brings that together and he creates a story. Maybe you're in here and you're hurting and you've walked through a hard, bitter marriage. I want you to know that Jesus can turn that around and give you a story and say, hey, listen, yes, I was once at this place and I once dealt with all this guilt and all this shame and all these things, but God made us new again. And God's going to use your story to be able to affect other people. Because maybe there's other people in hopeless situations and they're going, I, don't, I just don't feel like this is ever going to work. And then they see you and your story and say, hold on, bro, we were there too. We were there too and we, we went through that time when we wanted to end it all and we wanted to to just part ways. But there's something beautiful in that covenant. Even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, that we keep on pushing and we say, hey God, I'm going to give of myself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that most importantly, God, before we can have marriages that honor you, God, that we first need to honor our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help us to build marriages upon you and not fixed upon our emotions or just physical appearance or attraction. God, help us to base our marriages on you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So here's what we're going to do for about 15 minutes. Um, you guys have actually, via Facebook and stuff like that, have just submitted some questions. And um, what we want to do is just get real practical. Um, with you guys, and um, we're going to just answer some of those questions. So these are not questions that we've made up. These are actually questions that you guys have asked. So we'll be answering these. Let me say this first, though. Um, we don't have all the answers. <laughs> we just, we don't. Um, we don't have all of the answers. So I'll, I want you to know, we're not sitting up here trying to look like we, we've got it all together and we've got marriage figured out. I mean, we still got a long road ahead of us, and we still got a lot of things that got shaping and molding in us. But there are a lot of things that, that we have learned. So what I want to do um, real quick is invite my beautiful, incredible wife up to the stage. So can we give her a hand to my wife? Um, and, and what we're going to do is, I don't know if you know this about my wife. Let me just share a little story with you guys real quick. Um, my wife, for those of you that do not know, we have uh, four kids, one on the way. 
And one of the things that always has attracted me to my wife, other than her physical appearance, um, is this, is that she's just always loved Jesus more than she's loved anything else. And I see that in the way that she parents our kids. I see that in our relationship. Um, one of the things that I love about my wife is when I'm just having a bad day, and sometimes it frustrates the fire out of me, but I know that I need it. She's like, hey, babe, do you need to just like go spend some time with Jesus? And those are those times I'm like, I hate when women are right. All right, fine. Um, so she's, she's incredible. So let's jump right into it. Number one, this is a question that was asked by you guys. Number one, how do you end an argument when both involved think they are right and won't give in? Have you guys ever been there? Like, how do you end it when you both think you're right? What should we do? Um, I'll go first, and I'll let my wife talk a little bit on this. I think one of the things that Claire and I have learned to do is this, because if you haven't figured out already, both Claire and I are very strong, independent people, and we both like our way, um, and so we've had many of those arguments, and one of the things that we've had to learn to do is just invite other people into the argument, and at first it can be really embarrassing, because then you've got to sit out in front of somebody, and you've kind of got to argue through them. We've actually had that before, where we've called a couple over, and we say, hey, listen, we can't see eye to eye on this, she wants to go this way, and I want to go this way, can you just sit right there on that couch, and we're going to argue in front of you, and then can you just tell us uh, what you think is right, and who you think is wrong, and most of the time I'm wrong, um, <laughs> and that, that's not a joke, and I hate admitting that, but most of the time I'm wrong, and, and what the Bible teaches us is that there is a wisdom and abundance of counselors, so when we can't come up to, okay, we're not coming to an agreement, we simply seek out wisdom, what would you think? smart to check your motivations. Um, sometimes, I mean, if you're, are you, anyone competitive in here? Yeah, okay, I see quite a few. We're both competitive, so a lot of times we just want to win the argument. <laughs> we don't care if we're right or wrong. We just want to win. Um, so I think it's important to check, okay, am I really wanting restoration in the end of this, or am I just wanting to win? Um, also, I think it's smart to just step away and, and pray for a few minutes. I agree with everything Zach said. Um, and then if you need to, call someone, but okay, this, I think this is an important part of it. You want to call someone who's godly and neutral, because... <laughs> <laughs> Don't call your parents. <laughs> or you call someone who's like your best friend on your side, you know it, you know, and then you're like double teaming. That's not smart, you know, you don't do that. So you want to call someone who's godly and neutral. For us, we call like pastors, and that's smart for us. Um, so as long as you have those people, I think that's smart. Yeah, most definitely. I think that's... That's probably the most helpful thing, honestly, is get people that you know that usually don't agree with you, but do genuinely love Jesus. Um, so moving on, next question. And um, listen, I want you to know this. With all the questions that we're doing, there is no question that is a bad question. Okay, and first of all, if you do want to submit a question on Facebook, just go like our page and message us. Listen, I'm not going to go, and this question was asked by, like, we're not going to do that, okay? So you will remain anonymous. I know some of you guys are kind of like, oh my God, if I ask a question, are they going to say my name? No, we're not. Um, so number two, as a married woman, is it okay for my best friend to be a man? Is it okay for my best friend to be a man? So let me just simply answer that one. Um, I think the answer is definitely no, um, but now, yet again, and my wife was reminding of this too, we don't want to sit up here and just give you our opinions. We do want to give you what we feel the Bible says. And I think this, if you have another man that is your best friend, there's probably some emotional needs that your, your husband is not meeting. 
And I would say, husbands, you need to be keenly aware of that. Like, if you see your wife being uh, drawn to other male uh, figures or other males and, and having deep conversations and spending much time. Like, I would, there's no way in the world that I'd want my wife, she'd be like, hey, babe, I'm leaving him for a few hours. I'm going to have lunch with Dan. Who the, who's Dan? And where's my shotgun? You know, so, um, you want to say anything to that one? Um, it, it may not, like, the Bible may not specifically it's, say that it's sin, but it's just not wise. Yeah, exactly. Um, and as far as Zach and I, mean, we've been in ministry for, I don't know how long now, um, and we've counseled a lot of people. And if, even if it's innocent at the time, it may be innocent for years, usually that is how something ends up happening. Um, and that's just from our experience. So sure. it's, it's not wise. You know, it may not be wrong, but it's, it's not wise. Yeah, it's, it's not wrong to have male friends. I think if you start confiding Best in them friends, emotionally, close, then, yeah, emotional then it becomes connection. wrong. So, um, yeah, I think definitely check your motivations on that one. Number three. Have you had difficult times in your marriage? If so, how did you get through them? Have we? Yes, <laughs> we have uh, definitely had difficult times. I think one of the things, and Claire and I have dialogued about this so many times, the thing that just bothers me um, being in our position sometimes is because sometimes people see us as pastors and like we just, like we, oh man, they've got all their stuff ironed out. That is so far from the truth. Um, we, we don't have everything figured out. But there have definitely been difficult times. Uh, one time in particular, for those of you that do not know, um, I've been working with my dad in ministry for uh, almost, I think, eight years, almost probably nine years almost. And um, in 2011, it was actually 2010, the economy crashed, and our church in Jennings went through a really hard time financially. And uh, long story short, um, we ended up letting a bunch of people on staff go, and I was just one of them that was kind of like, hey, I'll go I'll go get a job. I uh, felt like I had a skill set that where I could go get a job, and I ended up getting a job um, filming for the Outdoor Channel and traveling all over the place. And uh, in that time, my wife is probably seven. Seven months pregnant. pregnant. Seven months With pregnant. With our second. Our first is one and screaming. Yes. It, our first was very difficult. Um, he was the kind that, you know how I said about throwing the cat earlier at night, you had those visions of like throwing your own son. Um, so, so what ends up happening is I go to work in Baton Rouge, so I've got an hour and a half commute, an hour and a half commute back, so about three hours of driving every single day. And um, my wife is about to go into labor, labor, she's nine months pregnant, and I am in uh, Wyoming working. So I end up flying back down. I come in, I'm there for the labor, there for the delivery, and I'm there for, what, two, three days, maybe? Two, three days, and I have to jet back out, and uh, I was gone for three weeks after that. And so there was a, a lot of that within that, where um, my, my second son was just born, my wife was dealing with all these things, and she was so frustrated at me because she's eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at home, and I'm on the road eating steak, you know, all this stuff. And so it was a really difficult time for us um, just connecting it's really hard, and I think many of you can relate with this. Like if your husband works offshore, he's gone for two weeks, or he's gone for 21 days, or whatever. Um, the thing that we really had to learn was to communicate a lot, to talk on the phone a lot, because it, it became really hard for us. When I get home, you felt like there was just this huge distance already um, between you. So I would say the one thing that sustained us was definitely just our relationship with Jesus. Um, what would you say to that? Um, well, I mean, I just a personal example We've been married almost seven years, and our oldest child just turned six this past week, and we've had six pregnancies, okay? Six, our oldest is six, six pregnant. We miscarried one. 
So, uh, I mean, I'm pregnant for our fifth child right now. So, there's been a lot of hormone changes, <laughs> crazy days, crazy moments, emotional moments. So yes, there's been some hard, uh, hard, difficult days and moments. And I think ultimately the only thing that satisfies and sustains you in those moments is, is Jesus. Of course, there's things that are good, you know, to do, um, connecting wise, practical things. But truthfully, the thing that's at the rock bottom of all of that has to be Jesus and it has to be what, um, what sustains you. So, um, Sometimes it's not going to feel right. Like, there's going to be days, weeks, months maybe, where you feel down, you feel depressed, you feel like it's not it's not working, and you feel like you're pursuing God and that nothing's happening. Um, but it's it's really important, and we found that in those moments, it's most important to just keep doing the things yeah. that stir your affections for Christ. Keep doing the things that you know will ultimately, truthfully, long-term, bring joy. So we don't want to do the things that immediately bring happiness because that thing if it doesn't last yeah. we want to do the things that we know long term will bring joy um which i mean for everyone it's going to be different but jesus has to be the rock of it so yeah totally and i think what you also have to realize is that especially what culture teaches us you ever see disney movies it's always like and they lived happily ever after and they never talk about um you know and and they went home and they had a two-week honeymoon and then they got in a really big fight like they don't they don't share that part of it and uh, I think that's what, especially if, if you've become a product of culture, a disciple of culture, we have this view of marriages. You watch movies or you read novels of like, it's just perfect. And there's, you've got to settle in your mind, there's going to be seasons in your marriage where you just don't feel like loving each other. And it's just going to happen. And it doesn't make it sinful. It doesn't make it wrong. But in those times where you have those gray areas and you just don't feel like it, if, like I said earlier in the message, if you're not founded on Jesus, then you're really in a danger zone there because then you're susceptible to temptation, you're susceptible to sin and all those things and which can really damage uh, the relationship. So there's going to be times when it just doesn't pan out and it doesn't seem right. Can I say one more yeah, thing? I think it's really important also in those moments to have, that's where you want to have those godly connections, those godly friendships, another couple who you can call and say, hey, this is where I'm at right now. I feel like I'm seeking God and it's just... There's nothing, no response. I'm just kind of feeling dry. Like, but you can have those connections, and that's where life groups here are incredibly important. Are just good relationships here that are godly relationships that you can share those those honest things with um, with people and be who you really are, and then be loved and walk through with someone. You're not on your own with it. Sure. And just one more additive, just to show you guys that we are a normal couple and that we don't have everything figured out. So one of the things that my wife, or my, my wife and I are constantly working through, or I'd say I'm working through, is um, like men in the very beginning, like you are very intent on pursuing your wife. And as the relationship progresses, it's kind of, you feel like you can kind of slack off a little bit. So I definitely get into those times where my wife will come to me and she's like, hey, babe, I just don't feel like I'm being pursued. I don't feel like you're really putting time into this. And so we were having one of those moments, I think uh, probably a week ago or so. And uh, it was just kind of one of those things. I had a long day, long week, and, you know, as a man, sometimes you want to get home, you want to sit in your recliner, you want to just check out, you know, and your wife's just kind of there, and you're like, baby, just sit next to me, and this is great, you know, we'll just watch something. And she's like, this sucks, I want to talk, I want to, you know, do something. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, any, like, anybody like sunflower seeds, any sunflower seed lovers in here? So I'm sitting here, and I can tell, I can kind of tell something's going on in my wife. But there was just a selfishness in my heart of like, I'm tired, and I don't feel like having a conversation right now, so I'm just going to watch this movie. And so I'm sitting there, 
And my wife just looks at me and she's like, oh, how romantic, just chewing sunflower seeds in my ear. I was like, dang it. So immediately in that, there, there, there's definitely times where you're going to have those moments where, man, you, you just miss it and you're just off. And immediately right there, you've got to go, okay, I was sinful, I was wrong, I was being selfish. And you've got to learn to, okay, let me turn the TV off, let me put the book down, whatever it is, and immediately direct my attention to that so we can solve that that issue because if we don't then what happens if you respond selfishly well yeah I know I had a long day I had this then what happens is you just have tension that just keeps building and eventually it's just gonna explode and blow up so when situations arise like deal with them right then and there um, you want to say anything else to that okay so fourth question and I think this is a big one for many of us how do you let go of things that may have hurt you and that many times in your relationship, it seems they seem to come back up over and over again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like maybe your spouse was unfaithful, or maybe they weren't unfaithful, but they said some words that um, were just really, really, really hurtful, and they keep just replaying in your mind. And so I think the question is, like, how do I let go of that? Um, you want to start with that one? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Um, I think oftentimes in those situations we want like a quick fix. I mean, most of us probably we're in a quick society of everything just happening real fast. And I think truthfully, most times it doesn't happen that way. It's a it's a long, hard process, and it's a growing process. And if we could see like see how God sees of the progress, like with our children, um, with a baby, like I have a one year old right now who's trying to walk and he's not very good at it. So, you know, when they take the first step and then they, they fall, they're like, great, you took a step. And that's how God sees us. But a lot of times we, we're like, God's like so upset with us. We failed. We, I said something rude. I said something harsh to them. I said, I reacted out of pain or hurt and just make it right. Go back to them and apologize and say, hey, I spoke out of hurt, past hurt. I'm, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then in time, God will continue working and you'll take a few steps and then fall and then you'll you'll be walking, and then you won't you'll you'll catch it in your brain before you even say it, True. and you can take it to the Lord then instead of speaking something wounding or hurtful. Um, but that's a process, and that takes really you seeking Jesus in the, that time and allowing Him to work in your heart, and not walking in discouragement when you do fall and say something um, hurtful, harsh. Sure, I think one thing that we've talked about often, and it's not something that we've mastered by any means. Um, but learning to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Um, because let's just be honest, most of the times when you say things or do things that you regret, you are hurt because they, they respond in a way so you just say words that are angry or mean or whatever. And uh, what we've got to learn to do is, one, you need to repent for saying those things. But then, two, if you're on the other the end of it, of receiving those words, you've got to learn to go, look, I know that's not their heart. I know, they, I know they really love me. I know they're really committed to me. I know they really love Jesus. They were just angry. And uh, they said those things out of anger. What we've got to learn to do is go, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I know that you love me. I know you said those things out of anger. And I want to be able to try to look past that so we can move forward um, in the relationship. And I think also tying this back in just, just the Bible, though, we can forgive because God has forgiven us of just crazy, wicked things. Um, so we can learn to forgive our spouses because even when we have not deserved forgiveness or when we haven't deserved 
um, grace or anything like that, that God has so freely given that to us. So the reason that we return and give that forgiveness to our spouse. And listen, sometimes you don't forget, okay? You don't forget, but you do, you do have to forgive. So forgiveness looks like in conversation when you're arguing, you're not constantly bringing up that point. Remember five years ago when you said this, and that's why I'm still hurt. Like, if you're doing that, then you're still bitter. And uh, my dad always says it this way, that it, bitterness is kind of like poison. It's like slow acting. And if you don't deal with it quickly, if you don't deal with the, the offense immediately, you begin to become bitter, and it begins to taint the relationship. Um, so, um, fifth question, the last question that we have, and this one is actually directed towards women, so I'll let my wife start this one. And it says, as an independent woman, how do we learn to give up authority and let our husbands lead us? Okay, can women in here be be honest? How many of you are independent or just kind of like control freaks? And anyone at all? There's got to be more than that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I am. Your husband's like. <laughs> I am too. I tend to just naturally. I'm. I'm. I'm like that, and I. Um, I didn't know I was like that until Zach kind of pointed out to me. So um, I struggle with this. And this is something that even right now I struggle with. I have to constantly take this to Jesus and Zach has to kind of graciously point this out to me. Um, I can say the number one thing that's most important for me, and that I think this can be applied to anything in life, but it really applies to this situation too, is um, knowing that God's not trying to rob anything from you when he gives you his commands in scripture. So when he said to women, submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, he's not trying to take something from you. He's not trying to take your control, take your say, take your identity, take anything you have, any you know opinion you have. He's not trying to take that from you. He's trying to lead you into joy, into greater, deeper joy that's in him. Yeah. And he created us. He created life. Um, so we can trust that he knows how things work best. I mean, anything that's created, the creator knows how things work best. So it's really that process of training our brain and our mind to constantly say, okay, no, God knows how this works. God is the one who, who, who made us and created us, and he knows this is how it's supposed to be. So even in the moment, I don't feel like it. You can say, I trust that God, God works best. He's not trying to take anything from me. He doesn't want me to be miserable and just do the right things. Anyone grow up in church and you know you just do the right things a lot of times? And you have no reason to do the right things. It's just the right thing. Sure. God doesn't want that from us. He wants our deeper, greater joy. And in that, I mean, that's found in him. It's not found anywhere else but him. Um, and obedience to his laws and commands. It's not trying to take things from us, good things. He's instead trying to bring us to greater joy. Definitely. She's preaching next week. Um, <laughs> so I, I think one thing to add to that, and this is one thing that we, we talked about last night, is... Scripture, scripture does teach on submission. Now, I think a lot of times, God, so many of us miss the meaning of that text. Okay? It does not mean it's like, husbands, you just get to throw out that word, like, submit to me, woman, because the Bible says, like, if you were saying that, you are a moron. Okay? That is not how Scripture works. It, scripture actually teaches that we are created equal with different roles. Okay? With different roles. It doesn't make the man you know, a hierarchy in the woman and any lesser. Now, there are different roles. God has called the man to lead the house. But this is how this is how it originally should work, and this is the, the design that God has in submission, is, husbands, if you willingly and graciously lead your wife 
and take care of her spiritually and emotionally, she's going to have no problem following you. But if your way of like getting her to submit is like, I am the man and you need to do this, then she's going to buck you 100% all the time. Um, that's just not how God created it. It doesn't mean that I get to use the submission word and now Claire doesn't have a voice. Like, she's a human being and she has an opinion and she has those things and I need to be willing to listen to that and consider that and say, okay, based off of what you said, now I can make a decision and I'm going to take what you said seriously and take that into consideration. So submission is not just I lord over you and, and you do what I say. That's great. I think that's a great point. And something that Zach does well with this is something that, um, okay, so for example, if we have extra money with someone, so certain amount of extra money, then he can come to me and say, hey, babe, we have um, this much, much extra money. I was thinking we should do this with it. What do you think we should do? Do you have any ideas? you think something's priority? Or, um, hey, babe, I was thinking about the kids, and I was kind of concerned about this. They, you know, they're dealing with this. What do, you, what do you think? Do you notice anything else? It's him, instead of me going to him and trying to grapple to get some, um, some traction for my voice to be heard, he's inviting that in. Sure. And I think that's a really smart move on men for the, a wife to feel like they're loved and to feel like they're valued. Um, and that's smart. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think, um, I think most of the time your wife wants you to make the decision. They just want to feel like their voice has been heard and that their opinion has been weighed out. Now, I'm not convinced that that's true when you ask them, hey, what do you want to eat? Um, I think they actually want to make the decision. Where do you want to eat? Oh, Ben, anywhere. Okay, let's go to here. No, not there. Anywhere but there. Um, so, hey, guys, listen, this was fun. And I, I really strongly, strongly encourage you. Um, we're going to be talking on marriage for the next five weeks, actually six weeks. Um, so I would encourage you to be here. Um, we really believe, Claire and I have just a passion and a heart for marriage just because um, a lot of things that we've walked through, um, we're very fortunate in um, just our marriage. Uh, we've never dated anybody else or had any relationships outside of us. So um, there was a lot of pain that was saved there. Um, so we just have a passion for that and to see God raise up healthy marriages because if he does, then ultimately you get healthy families and ultimately you get healthy individuals. And it's just like a, it's like a trickle effect that affects everything. Um, you get healthy churches and, and so on and so on and so on.